Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, along with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and uh, Eric, a lot has changed since last week podcasted, low fully seven days ago now. Um, it turns out that Vermont, well, actually possibly the entire northern New England region has been transformed from a bucolic temperate paradise into a tropical rainforest. Uh, certainly didn't see that coming, but uh, but I, uh, I'm a man of the world. I read news. I know stuff. Uh, it turns out, word on the street, that uh, we actually might have it relatively lightly compared to other parts of the country. Uh, I got to say, look, man, I'm really glad on weekends like this that I no longer live in the fetid swamp that is Washington, D.C. I can't even imagine how folks there and elsewhere are coping with this. Uh, I might have just about... Made it through this heat wave down there once upon a time, but uh, not anymore. I am, Eric, not to put too fine a point on it, too old for this shit. Uh, yeah, you you and me both. Uh, that speak that that fetid swamp. I thought it was getting drained. No, hasn't been drained. That fetid swamp to which you refer. <laughs> not. No, the fetidness is is only increasing. <laughs> well, uh, as if we uh, needed further motivation not to leave the house uh, on top of our general laziness <laughs> and antisocial tendencies. Uh, yeah, now now that now that we get uh, the feel of a Vegas summer day on the East Coast, uh, I think I will stay inside. Uh, my my dog is learning how to use the toilet and that's all there is to it uh but uh yeah no like you i am uh, much too old for this crap uh although you know it's a little tough for me to use the excuse that i'm uh, over 40 and that's why i'm so washed and pathetic uh, you know you're older than i am so maybe the excuse is more valid for you but for me not too deep into my 40s yet Friggin' Manny Pacquiao is out there proving <laughs> yeah. that it's very possible to yeah. do extraordinary physical things after 40. He's really making me look bad. Manny, yeah. uh, you know, please show a little consideration for the washed guys and our egos. It's, it's really selfish of him to go around yeah. flaunting his non-washedness like this. <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, I used, you always used to hate doing media days with Bernard Hopkins. I could always, like, right. <laughs> sort of tell myself that the reason that maybe my waistline was a little wider than everybody else's was my age, and then... Hop would walk in, and there you go. (laughs) Yeah, we will discuss at some length the public pantsing of Father Time that took place on the Las Vegas (laughs) Strip on Saturday night. Uh, But that isn't all we have to talk about on this pod. Uh, There were also fights this over the last few days in the California desert on the banks of the Potomac and the River Thames. There are fights to look forward to uh, just ahead in Baltimore, uh, further ahead in Russia, London, and Los Angeles, uh, but not apparently in Riyadh. but um, and unfortunately, we must also, in all seriousness, talk about a couple of very sad news items mm. that we certainly wish we didn't have to address. But uh, we begin, uh, as you were talking about it, the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, where on Saturday night, 40-year-old Manny Pacquiao shot out to an early lead against 30-year-old Keith Thurman, dropping him in the first round, peppering him from all angles over the first half of the fight and withstanding something of a late round's comeback to emerge a winner by split decision and take an alphabet strap. Uh, Glenn Feldman scored the fight 114-113 for Keith Thurman, but he was overruled by Dave Moretti and Tim Cheatham, who saw it 115-112 for Pacquiao, who now moves his future first ballot Hall of Fame ledger to 62-7-2. Eric, we talked last week about how the sports books had this as basically a pick-up fight, but I will now make a confession. Uh, had we made an official prediction, I would have got it wrong. I would have had zero <laughs> points because I would have taken Thurman by decision, although I vacillated about it. Uh, I felt increasingly 
comfortable with with the the thought that the younger guy would get a a close points win. Um, but in the event, uh, my scorecard agreed with Moretti's and Cheatham's. So uh, one fifteen, one twelve. I had it for Pacquiao. I uh, watching off the TV. How did you score it? Um, and uh, were you at all surprised by by what Pacquiao did? And and how do you think he did it? Well, first off, I too would have picked up zero points in our prediction game, uh, and I have the bet slips to prove it. Uh, I I, I was really on the fence about this one, but I ultimately leaned ever so slightly toward Thurman. Uh, I made a tiny bet a few weeks ago on the draw at a 20 to 1, and then on Friday, just before the fight, I bet on Thurman by decision at 2 to 1. They weren't bad bets. They almost came in, uh, but... In the end, uh, like you, I, I viewed Pacquiao as the slight underdog. Yeah. Uh, so that means I was a little bit surprised by what Manny pulled off. Uh, Moretti and Cheatham and Mulvaney got it exactly right in my <laughs> view. Uh, I also had it 115-112 for Pacquiao. This was a close fight, but it was clear to me that Pacquiao won. Um, you asked the question of how did he do it? Uh, from a totally non-technical perspective, he landed the two most effective punches of the fight, and yeah. that was all the difference. He he, yeah. he scored the knockdown in round one. That was crucial. And that body shot in the 10th uh, yeah. when he needed to do something to, to slow Thurman's momentum. I had given Thurman four straight rounds, yep. and that single punch was massive. To me, you take those two punches away, this was a pretty dead even fight. Could have yep. been a draw uh, without those two punches, but those two punches are, are why Pacquiao got the win by three points. Beyond that, how did he do it? Uh, he remains insanely fast at age 40. Um, he takes more parts of rounds off than he did in his prime, but yeah. I wouldn't insult him by saying he fought in spurts, as a lot of older fighters do. Uh, he mostly keeps winding that little crank on his back uh, and, uh, and just... Uh, keeps his legs and arms working round after round. Um, he went to the body smartly throughout the fight, not just yeah. uh, in, in that 10th round, but he was doing it frequently. Yeah, he did maybe a little bit of that famous Sugar Ray Leonard last 30 seconds round yes. stealing stuff. Uh, that, that certainly helped. But all in all, he fought one hell of a fight, and he wasn't just doing it all with 40-year-old guile. You know, it was more than that. He he somehow is not that far removed physically from his prime, and that that Jeff Horn fight increasingly looks like an anomaly, looks like an off night. He must have. I, I think there was some talk that he had gone into it a bit ill or something, if I remember correctly. And, and, you know, and fighters often come up with various excuses. And you look at that and you think that just must have been the case. It is such an aberration compared to what's happened since. Um, you do. Yeah, you do wonder. Uh, I mean, look, he, uh, you know, he doesn't clearly doesn't still have that the otherworldly sort of snap to his punches that he used to have but right yeah like he said his ability to 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 deliver like short accurate blizzards of punches um you know with enough speed and power to like at the worst at their least sort of be a deterrent and at their best knock really good fighters on their asses is is kind of incredible and and the footwork there as well it's always been the thing with manny it's just like he doesn't just move in in lines and in angles. He still is able to do this weird kind of time warping thing where he's just <laughs> moving from one spot to the other. And yet still, almost as, as soon as he moves, he's planted enough to be able to fire those really good punches. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of remarkable, really. But, um, and, and he's just so unpredictable. It's just he remains very, very difficult for, uh, um, for opponents to, to time. It's, uh, yeah, at his best, he's, he's quite impressive. Yeah, yeah. There, there were... Interesting swings of momentum in, in this fight. Mm. Uh, after about five rounds, you know, around around the midway point, 
Pacquiao was in control, arguably having won every round, plus a knockdown, and Thurman's nose was bloodied. But then from rounds six through nine, I, I noted earlier, I gave him four straight rounds, he seemed to be slowly reeling Pacquiao in and, and closing the gap on the scorecards, making a, a really close fight of it. What was changing in, in those rounds? Was there something you saw Thurman doing in terms of making adjustments? And at that point, did you think a Thurman comeback win was a real possibility? Yeah, I think one of the things he was doing was hanging in against a 40-year-old with 70 pro bouts under his belt. I mean, to get back to that point you were making, you know, Pacquiao is still a force of nature, but he isn't a three minutes around 12 rounds of fight force of <laughs> right. nature anymore. Right. Um, and, and by around the halfway point, I think he'd slowed down just a little bit. I mean, that's got to require amazing energy to, to like be moving around like that the way that he does. Um, you know, so he was maybe a little bit more stationary. It's all relative, but a little bit more stationary in his punches, maybe losing a bit of snap. Um, and that, I think, maybe just meant that Thurman was able to to get his own game in gear a little bit. And and even though he wasn't landing a lot of jabs, he was sort of throwing them and setting him up with that right hand that was starting to land really pretty well yeah. um, while he was moving forward. Um, and actually, he was doing that, you know, again, to get back to your point about how really two, two punches swung the bout because he was he started off doing that very well until the knockdown and and then in that first round i thought thurman and then it just took him several rounds to to regain that that momentum um you know uh and, and i thought yeah he was actually even doing that reasonably again to add on to your point it felt to me that Pacquiao wasn't doing the last 30 seconds of every round. He was doing about the last two minutes, like the first minute of every round, right. even in the first part of the fight. Thurman would be doing quite well. And I thought, oh, he's getting into this round. And then it would almost be like this timer went off in Manny's head. And he would be like, God, I only have two minutes until I can take a rest. Right, I'm at it. <laughs> and, and, and then he would just kick into gear and just overwhelm him a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, and I just, you know, that was, I think, the problem that Thurman was having in the first half of the fight. And he was able to to pull himself back in a little bit. It sounds like we scored it exactly the same way because I gave Pacquiao the first five rounds, um, which even though I thought that Thurman was coming back and I also gave him the next four rounds, right. it still meant with the knockdown that, that you know, there's always this sense that, oh, Pacquiao only needs one more round and then Thurman's got to get a knockdown to get a draw. And, and then, like you said, then that short little body shot in round 10 came and, and, and interrupted Thurman's momentum. And then in the 12th, you know, Dan Birmingham told him to lay it all on the line and he just couldn't do it, Thurman, in the end. And it, right. it just it just kind of got away from him. He was closing it down, but yeah, it just wasn't quite able to do it at the very end. Yeah, it was, you know, until that 10th round body shot, I would have absolutely believed that Thurman could complete the comeback, maybe would complete the comeback. You know, if you had paused the fight going into the 10th yeah. and said, who's going to win, make a new prediction right now, I, I might have said Thurman at that point, even though he was still behind on my card. But yeah, that after that, uh, it was it was clear that he needed at least a knockdown, maybe a knockout. And, and I just hadn't seen anything that suggested he was going to get something like that done against Pacquiao, even though he was right in the fight. You hadn't seen any evidence that he could really hurt Pacquiao, knock him down, knock him out. Uh, that that 10th round body shot that that ultimately that, that really clinched it for Pacquiao. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think this means for Thurman? Obviously, if he'd gotten the win, it would have been great for him. A big the biggest scalp of his career by by some distance. Um he didn't get it. Um, on the one hand, you can argue that he pushed an all-time great to a split decision. 
On the other hand, he lost to a 40-year-old man who, as we were just talking about, just a couple of years ago, lost, albeit controversially, to Jeff Horn, of all people. So does this do anything for, like, his status? Is he still in that sort of... You've talked about the different layers in the welterweight division, that you've got your Crawford and your Spence, and, you know, maybe Manny's now bridging between that layer and the next one. And then you've got your Garcias and your Porters and your Thurmans. Is he still right in the mix at the top there, or... After his injuries, after a couple of years out, after a so-so win against Josecito Lopez, and now this, is he, despite being the younger guy on Saturday, is he the one whose career might actually be entering a downslope now? Well, I'm going to uh, give myself a, a little pat on the back for, for standing firm for a while now behind the opinion that Keith Thurman is a very good fighter, not a great mm. fighter, not a not a top 10 pound-for-pounder or some people had him a couple of years ago, a top five pound for pounder. And you know who you are. The ESPN pound for pound polls are archived, I assume. So, <laughs> uh, But that was the uh, opinion some people held of him. I never quite put him at that level. So with that in mind, I'm not so sure that he's on the downslope. Um, you know, I'd I'd still put him, you know, I'd, I'd have him number four in the division mm. right now behind Spence, Crawford, and Pacquiao. I mean, he does still hold wins over Garcia and Porter. Uh, this was a very close defeat. He didn't yep. get blown out. Um, he's the same guy now that he was two years ago, in my view, just without the zero on his record anymore. And and by the way, I, I keep going back to that body shot in the 10th round. That is like stuck in my mind. And I want to give huge credit to Thurman for not going down in yeah. the 10th round. That was some of the best drama of the fight. He was hurt. His body was telling him it wanted to go down. Yeah. But yeah. his head and his heart were like... No, if I touch the canvas here, it's another 10-8 round. I can't catch up after that. I have to stay on my feet, even if it means taking a bunch of punches until I have my legs back. So good for Keith Thurman. He showed enormous heart and will to win in that moment. So I, I don't think his stock really drops at all with this loss, at, le at least not for me, uh, You know, as someone who's felt for a while that this is right about where his stock belongs. Also, by the way, in the filed under good for Keith Thurman, Talk about like class and mm -hmm. grace, uh, not just in the immediate post, you know, post fight interview in the ring, but also the post fight press conference. Not a hint of an excuse, right? Nothing whatsoever. Just, just gave absolute mad props to Manny Pacquiao, and full credit to him for that. It's, it's funny though. It's fine. I mean, I, I agree with you, and I think in your assessment, but it's kind of funny that he almost seems like he's at a bit of a crossroads because he's beaten the guys who were like just below him, right. and he probably won't get. Because of the loss, the guys who are right above him, Errol Spence is a bit busy right now anyway. Um, it's sort of like, well, what does he do now? It's like he, he he might just have to sort of kick his heels a little bit and, and bide some time somewhat. I mean, I guess, especially if Porter beats Errol Spence, you know, maybe rematches with Porter or Garcia could be could be kind of interesting. But right. it's odd. It's like he's 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 been too successful against the other guys for it to be... Uh, Although I guess those fights were kind of close. Maybe he can go back to that. There's no obvious real challenger, quote unquote, for him at the moment. Um, you know, maybe it's just the case after having spent all that time out to, you know, maybe just get a couple of decent wins and, and get himself back in the groove a little bit again. Right. Um, although, you know, one big fight that might make some sense for him. I, I know that he wants to do it would be a rematch with Pacquiao. I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know. Manny himself may have uh, some some other options he prefers. So let, let's talk about what what's next for Pacquiao. Uh, he said he doesn't think he'll fight again until 2020. 
because of the requirements of his uh, his right. day job in the Philippine Senate. Uh, that might hurt his 2019 Fighter of the Year campaign, but uh, I suppose there are more important things in life. Uh, when he does return <laughs> to the ring, uh, I guess early next year, who is that likely to be against? Who should it be against? And how much longer do you see Manny continuing? So I'm going to be, this is where I turn ever so slightly into the skunk at the garden party, just a wee little bit here. I mean, <laughs> so, you know, when he beat Bronner and he looked good and dominant doing it, you know, he nonetheless, he was clearly diminished relative to what he'd once been. And we talked about that in the, in the post-fight podcast. Um, and no surprise there that he's a little bit diminished, as we talked about at the beginning. We all are, as not least me. Um, and, and I wasn't anything to write home about to start with. Um, and... <laughs> You know, and we wondered whether Bronner had made him look better than he really was, whether he could beat any of the top welterweights. I think he was, you know, better on Saturday night than he was in January, actually, against Bronner. But, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think if I recall correctly in that post-fight, post-Bronner podcast, I think I said something to the effect that I didn't think he could beat any of the top welterweights. And you were the one who suggested that because of circumstances surrounding injuries and so forth, that Keith Thurman was actually the guy who you thought right there and then would be the interesting fight. And maybe Danny Garcia. Um, and so now he scored that close win against, you know, the one top level welterweight we really felt he had a chance to be, and he looked great, but it did come at a price. Um, according to CompuBox, I think Thurman landed more power punches than any CompuBox tracked opponent has landed against Pacquiao. And, and, and what mm-hmm. fans, fans rarely, if ever get to see is the real life repercussions of fights, you know, right. for, for fans, boxers are cartoon superheroes or cartoon villains who show up at an arena, you know, punch each other in the face and go home and everybody gets drunk and is happy. But, you know, very few get to see the boxers, you know, the night after a fight or, or the day after, you know, when they're swollen and they're bruised and they're bent over and they're sore. Um, and I was reading a piece by SI's Greg Bishop, who shadowed Pacquiao on fight night. And he was saying that afterward, you know, Pacquiao's eyes hurt so much from the combination of punches and Vaseline that, you know, he, after the f- press conference was over, he just wanted to keep them tightly closed and not open them. And he had members of his entourage basically leading him around and that, you know, he kind of looked a little old finally when, you know, the adrenaline wore off. And one of his teams said he hadn't looked so beaten up since the Antonio Margarito fight. And yeah, look, I know he beat Margarito and he beat Joshua Com- Clotty comfortably, but those punches, you know, they took a toll mm-hmm. and sort of started that phase of, you know, only one knockout in, in 10 10 years there's there are only so mild so many miles on even manny pacquiao's odometer and, and freddie roach clearly wants him to stop he's told bishop there's nothing left for pacquiao to prove that this would be a great final chapter um he could fight danny garcia and but that would and he could beat danny garcia but that would sort of be more of the same and would come at a cost again uh i continue to maintain the uh, fight with errol spence and terence crawford would not work out well for him right um Oh, geez. God help me. <laughs> I, know, I know what's coming. Oh, I'm so, I'm Oh, God. Just say I, it. I, spit it out. Please forgive me for saying this. But the one that absolutely makes the most sense. Oh, God, I feel ill saying this. <laughs> is the fight with a rematch. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. It makes so much sense now. Um, it does. Yep. Pacquiao has completely. He's really refurbished his reputation in his last few fights. We don't know what Floyd has. And, and obviously, Floyd insists he's retired. Um, and Floyd isn't even going to take a calculated risk, you know, like that, having that zero in his record is, is like his defining feature. So if he thinks that's a real risk, you won't do it. But, oh, man, from a Pacquiao point of view, I hate to I God, you, you know how much I hate to say it. But it really is the best way for him to earn a shed load of money, uh-huh. finish it all off with a bow and have relatively little risk of further physical damage. 
Yeah. Oh, God, now I'm just going <laughs> to feel. It's true, though, isn't it? Big pull quote on Twitter. Kieran Mulvaney <laughs> says, make the Maypack rematch. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, financially, it makes sense. And yeah, for the reasons you said, it, it all adds. Look, I mean, in, in terms of big fights, I guess there are three that I could see him considering. I, I don't really see him considering Crawford that, you know, when you combine the uh, the danger there with the fact that it's not such an easy fight to make. Yeah. I'm not really thinking of that as as one of the ones. But the other guy you mentioned, Spence, well, basically the Spence Porter winner. That yeah. probably is something Manny would consider. Um, I have some of the same concerns as you do. Um I noted it a few minutes ago, but I think a Thurman rematch is something to mm-hmm. think about. Uh, and then, yeah, Floyd Mayweather. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm sure Manny would be more than happy to do it. Um, I think it's really up to Floyd, um, who, yep. uh, you know, with, with this long away from having had a real boxing match, um, it might be a tougher fight for him than the first time. So it's just he has to calculate it. Is the money worth the risk of, of blowing that zero uh, at this point in his life? Um, but, you know, I, I, I really wouldn't mind Pacquiao Thurman, too, in the least. It's also mm-hmm. perfectly fine if it doesn't happen. But uh, but that would be fun. And, um, yeah, I, I, I do worry that a Spence fight would be bad for Manny. But then again, you know, after how he fought on Saturday well, night, I can't just totally assume that. Indeed. Yeah. Of course, Floyd is probably going to be busy with that bone collector pay-per-view that we started to <laughs> True. Get, get the ball rolling on True. last week. <laughs> True. Right. All, all that the Showtime Boxing with Raskin Mulvaney podcast has become is basically you promoting Floyd Mayweather fights. Who week thought? after week. The, yeah. the strange twists and turns in one's career. Yeah. <laughs> Who would ever have imagined um, so finally on this subject, uh, so on the Fox broadcast that preceded the pay-per-view, Joe Goosen, uh, in an uncharacteristic moment of hyperbole, uh, opined that if Pacquiao were to win, it might be time to consider him the best who'd ever laced them up. That might just have been one of those things where sometimes if you say enough words, you kind of <laughs> want to publicly take a couple of them back. Um, Max Kellerman. We, we don't know anything about that. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, Max Kellerman on Twitter offered that, you know, well, not going that far, he suggested somewhere in between 5 and 10 uh, all time. Uh, so uh, is this sort of like a collective overreaction based on like the immediacy of an unexpectedly good performance or, uh, you know, without pinning you down to an exact spot, uh, roughly where would you place Pacquiao on some kind of mythical all-time list at this point? Um, yeah, I mean, Goosen's comment is an overreaction. <laughs> um Max's is justifiable. I'm not saying I agree with it. I might, without putting the actual list together, and thank you for not pinning me down to an exact yeah. number. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I might lean more toward that 10 to 20 range, but yeah. I get it. 5 to 10. Uh, Pacquiao now has the following things going for him. At his peak, he was an absolute athletic phenom. He had success across a wider range of weight classes than anyone ever. He fought the best opposition of anyone of not just his generation, but maybe several generations. Uh, Like, I would probably say his total opposition is better than Oscars, better than Ray Leonard's, better than Hagler's. I mean, I haven't thought it through. Uh, You were just talking about things we say that we might regret. Maybe I'll regret (laughs) that because I haven't really looked line by line at everyone. But his 
resume is remarkable. You might need to go back to like a Sugar Ray Robinson to find someone who shared the ring with this many very good to all-time great fighters. Um, and add to all that, now he has freakish longevity going for him. Yeah. So I think there's a case for 5 to 10 all-time. Uh, there's not much of a case at all for having Pacquiao outside your top 25 or so greatest fighters ever. Uh, not anymore. Maybe after, like right after the Mayweather loss, you would have thought, okay, he's landing outside the top 25, somewhere 25 right. to 50, somewhere in that range. But this changes things. Beating Keith Thurman at age 40, I think it does cause yet another reassessment of Manny Pacquiao. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take very long, you know, when you put down some really good names and that sort of like top 10 of all time, it fills up pretty fast. <laughs> right. Um, but. You know, it's funny because I was thinking like, yeah, we can overpraise the ones that we're most immediately familiar with that we've seen excel. But conversely, sometimes we can be overly critical because their faults and failings are still sort of front and center and they haven't faded with time. And I was sort of picturing like if, say, you know, 20 years ago, Burt Sugar had written about this guy who nobody had seen. There was no footage remaining of him. Right. But we were just going by, you know, written records. It was some kid who'd risen from the slums of Manila to become a flyweight champion, work his way through the divisions, <laughs> not just beating future Hall of Famers, but knocking them out um, and winning titles all the way up to 154 and then still doing it at 40. Uh, we think, holy crap, that guy was a legend. <laughs> right. Right. And so and that's kind of what we do have here. Um, and yeah, you know, when you start getting to the lower reaches of the top 10 and the 10s to 20s, you can start making a case. Um, you know, what? I was thinking about it and, and, you know, all I know is that by definition, generational talents are extremely rare. And I was thinking we've actually been pretty blessed. Um, you know, I guess, you know, our generation, you know, we came in at the end of the Leonard Hearns, Hagler, Durant era and, you know, but we've we've seen the careers of Roy Jones, of Pacquiao and Mayweather unfold in front of us. Those are three pretty damn good fighters <laughs> and you can throw yeah. in quite a few others. Uh, I don't know where those guys rank, but they're they're certainly uh, all timers. That's for sure. Yep. All right. Let's let's talk undercard. Uh relatively quickly because the the main yes. event was was great the undercard uh not worth as much of our attention uh as you uh mentioned before the the pay-per-view began fox aired a double header on free tv that was when uh, joe goosen said what he said about pacquiao um heavyweight prospect fa ajagba was forced to go the distance for the first time pounding out a 10-round unanimous decision over fellow former 2016 olympian ali aaron demirzin and caleb plant was way too much for Mike Lee, knocking the former Subway pitchman <laughs> down four times in total and route to a third round stoppage as he retained a 168 pound belt. Any observations to share from those two fights? Good outing for a jug, but I thought I, I thought he looked solid against a guy who is an excellent amateur like him, and and he has a reputation as a very good pro with some fundamentals. The mirrors and um, you know a jug, but you know you can't just be knocking people over all the time, much as you might like to. At some point, you need to be pushed and go long and. He passed that test. I thought he looked very comfortable doing it. Um, and as predicted, it you know I, I did mention that I was intrigued to see whether Mike Lee you know was any good. And well, it certainly turns out he's not anywhere near Caleb Plant's level. Um, you know, uh, congrats to Bernie Parmesel for a career's worth of stellar PR work with Mike Lee, which is what really got the kid a title <laughs> shot. But uh, right. you know, Plant is the one there that was legitimately, you know, class and definitely showed it there. Um, and just you know, to be clear, at least the next time we'll see him, Caleb Plant will be able to say, 
I know that you didn't pick Mike Lee over him, so <laughs> right. you got that. Correct. So be, right. Uh, on the main pay-per-view undercard, Luis Neri dispatched Juan Carlos Payano with a beautiful left-hand body shot in the ninth round of their bantamweight contest of just a wonderful classic delayed reaction body shot KO. Uh, junior welterweight Sergei Lipanets drilled late sub Jair Inson with a left hook in the second round of their fight that ended that contest. And Jordanus Ugas earned another shot at a welterweight strap by beating up uh, Omar Figueroa Jr. for 10 rounds. I ask you, sir, much the same question as you just asked me. Anything stand out to you out of that lot? Well, the main thing for me is that I'm glad we're finally rid of Omar Figueroa's undefeated record. It was among the most <laughs> deceiving undefeated records in the sport. He's a tough kid, but he's just not that good. Uh, it's been obvious for years that he doesn't train quite hard enough. I'll be happy to be rid of the promotional push that he's gotten for, in my opinion, far too long. Uh, Ugas fought well, but it wasn't a particularly entertaining fight. Uh, right. Neri was a little disappointing compared to some of his previous performances, but at least he got the job done emphatically in the end. All in all, just just not a very good undercard. I thought it looked solid on paper. I said mm. last week I was kind of looking forward to it. It didn't help mm. that John Molina pulled out of the Lippinage right. fight with a back injury, but the undercard mostly failed to deliver. The good news is the main event completely made up. Yeah, it. completely. All right, let's back up a bit and talk about fights from earlier in the day, Saturday, from Friday, and even from Thursday. Uh, an early start to the boxing weekend with a Golden Boy Promotions card from Fantasy Springs Resort and Casino. In the main event, middleweight prospect Jason Quigley lost his unbeaten record when he was stopped after nine rounds by veteran Toriano Johnson. Last week, I declared this a 50-50 fight, and for the first few rounds it was, but then Johnson took over, really battering Quigley until the Irishman's trainer, Dominic Ingle, pulled him out of the contest between the 9th and 10th. Kieran, were you surprised by the result, and how big of a setback is this for Quigley? I wasn't totally surprised, actually, for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, Quigley's plateaued for a, for a while now, for a little while for his last few fights. Um you know, he was doing stuff like he was talking far too often about getting a shot at Canelo, um, even as some of his performances against far lesser lights failed to impress. Um, he got rid of some of his team, left L.A. to split his time between Sheffield and Donegal. And and it just felt like, you know, coming into this fight, once I realized he was going to fight Toriano Johnson, I was like, if Johnson's got anything left, he beats him. And that was the only question for me, whether Jonathan Johnson had anything left. And I guess he sure answered that. Um, I'm not sure what, how Quigley comes back from this. Uh, I'm not, I don't know that he has it in him to dig deep and take himself up another level. It, it might wake him up and spur him on to greater things. But I think this is a case of, you know, we've seen a prospect go up so far and possibly not any further. I think he might be what he is at this point. Um, mm -hmm. So that, unfortunately, that bout turned into a bit of a beating. Um, and Dominic Ingle did the right thing in stopping that fight before Quigley yeah. got, got badly hurt. Um, however, the following night, at the MGM Grand National Harbor outside of DC, Buddy McGurr also pulled his fighter, previously undefeated Maxim Dadashev from the contest after 11 rounds of super lightweight action against Subriel Matias. Um, alas, despite McGurr's actions, uh, Dadashev did get badly hurt. Um, he looked far from present in the corner as McGurr told him he was stopping the bout. Uh, and then he vomited, collapsed, uh, was carried on a stretcher to an ambulance, taken to hospital where he underwent surgery to relieve swelling on his brain. And you just can't help but feel for his poor wife at home in Russia who received this phone call to tell her what had happened and promptly boarded a plane for the United States. That's, my God, that's just got to be the nightmare scenario for any boxing spouse or partner. Um, 
At the time we record this on Sunday, I don't believe any further information on his condition has been released. Um, and honestly, I don't know that there's much for either of us to say other than to wish him and his family our deepest wishes for a swift and strong recovery. Yeah, and I can't even offer any analysis of whether anyone's to blame for the situation since I turned the fight on literally right as Buddy was stopping it. I mm. didn't see what led up to that, and certainly I was feeling no particular uh, impulse to, to go back and, and watch the fight uh, after seeing it go down. I was talking about it with Nigel Collins, who was over my house Saturday night watching the pay-per-view. He said maybe it could have been stopped around earlier, but... Prior to that, you had no sense that this was coming. And it just sounds like nobody is to blame. Buddy yeah. seemed to be doing the right thing. Yeah. About the only valid criticism seems to be that they should have gotten him hooked up to oxygen more quickly. You know, maybe the instant he was losing his balance trying to exit the ring. Um, I mean, it, it was awful to watch. And you knew it was really serious as it was yeah. unfolding. Uh, and this is something we as fans and media constantly have to reckon with. The, the yeah. price this sport exacts on its participants. You'll never fully rid this sport of, of tragedies. You hope to minimize them, but you, you'll never eliminate them. So, yeah. uh, as you said, we, we hope for Dadashev to go the way of Adonis Stevenson and, and yep. make a, a full or, or near full recovery. But... Not a whole lot else to say at this time. Yep. Um, in what almost felt like an irrelevance afterward in the main event of that ESPN Plus card, Teofimo Lopez remained undefeated, uh, but he was taking the 12-round distance for the first time. In fact, he'd never gone more than seven rounds before this, uh, but Lopez did score a unanimous decision over Masayoshi Nakatani. There wasn't any doubt that Teofimo deserved the win, but the official scores, uh, two judges seeing it 118-110 and the other 119-109, were awfully wide. Uh, and Lopez certainly wasn't his spectacular best against an opponent who really made him work and at times appeared to have him confused and uncertain what to do next. What do you make of this unexpected struggle for the guy everyone named the 2018 prospect right. of the year? D did you see... Uh, warning signs here for Lopez as he moves upward through the ranks, or was this just a bad style matchup and one of those nights and a fight that's actually good for him and I'll make him learn and grow and maybe be a little less cocky in, in a good way. I think maybe the last bit, um, almost cut and paste the, uh, uh Jagba comments. Uh, you know, I, I think no matter how good you are at some point, if you're a rising prospect or contender, you're going to meet that opponent who's awkward as all hell, is a rough matchup, knows all kinds of tricks, and has the nous and the solidity to like avoid being put away. And, and if you've got a really good matchmaker, they will find you those opponents along the way who give you hell and maybe look you look bad at the night on the night, but don't give you an L. Right. Um, and, and that's what they did there. I mean, that, that was just a night for Lopez. This I think probably... That Friday night is probably have been more valuable for him than all those spectacular KOs he's been scoring so far. Um, for all those reasons, he's going to realize he can't always put people away. Sometimes he's going to have to go to a plan B or a plan C. And he's got to acknowledge that sometimes it's the guy who you don't expect to have to have the plan B or plan C against. who you're going to have to do that. So hopefully this will be uh, a good learning process for him. I see absolutely no reason to not continue to be high on, on uh, Tiafimo Lopez. Right. Although they may want to slow the trajectory in sure. the wake of this. Maybe the maybe sure. the whole calling out Lomachenko right now. Uh, maybe maybe yes. that's not the best idea. 
Yeah, indeed. Uh, one more fight card to discuss on Saturday. The O2 Arena in London brought us a triple header of heavyweight action. In the opener, Derek Chisora threw himself into the knockout of the year conversation with an emphatic second round KO of Arthur Spilka, uh, which is exactly what I bet. Uh, I bet that Chisora by knockout at plus odds helps make up for my nice. failed, failed Pacquiao Thurman bets. Um, next uh, on that show, David the White Rhino Allen was unable to gore David Price and instead... Ah. Yeah, see what I did there? Uh, Instead, retired on his stool after 10 rounds. Uh, And uh, no, I'm not back on the David Price future heavyweight champion bandwagon just yet, but it was a good win for him. Uh, And in the main event, Dillian White survived a ninth round knockdown to score a decision victory over Oscar Rivas. Kieran, any particular thoughts after a solid night of action between boxing's big men in the British capital? Yeah, the Price Allen result was a shock, not least because one just assumes now that at some point, like around round five, David Price will just fall over. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he didn't. But Alan just, yeah, he just never looked right. Um, and even though he was losing, it was a shock when he told uh, his trainer, Darren Barker, to pull him out of the fight. But you know what? In the same way that it was smart for Diego De La Hoya to confess to Rudy Barragan, the referee, last week that he just wasn't feeling right in the head um, after a punishing fight, it was clearly a smart move. For Alan to pull himself out is he had to be stretched out of the room, out of the ring, taken to hospital. Um, looking at his social media, his, his Twitter afterwards, you know, I sort of said last week, I just really like David Allen. He's just a great character. Mm-hmm. And all the more so afterwards where he's just been like, you know what, guys, I just haven't been in great health for the last year or so. You know, all the best to David Price. I'm just this guy who's not really very good at boxing, but I gave everything. This is literally what he's saying. (laughs) Like, I just gave everything I could. And, oh, well, just an old man whose body's gone a bit soft. Maybe I'm done. And it's just like, wow, I like this guy even more. Um, (laughs) You know, whatever he ends up doing. He just seemed very honest and, 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 um, you know, there, but yeah, there's a mini revival of David Price right now. I think he's got a couple of wins uh, on the trot now, but yeah, indeed, uh, the um, the hype train certainly long ago left that station. Uh, the Chisora knockout was <clears throat> spectacular. It's slightly weird. It was mildly reminiscent of when Dennis Lebedev knocked out Roy Jones, you know, and that, there's that one mm. big right hand just froze Spilker against the yeah. ropes, and he was barely conscious, I suspect, at that point. You know, he put his hands up, but he was all but out, and then... Uh, you know, two quick punches sending him into unconsciousness. And, yeah, and why, you, I, you could, you could. Uh, I, sorry to cut you off, but you could ahead. see uh, on the one, one of the slow mo replays when that first punch that froze him landed, his head was trying to still look at at his opponent, but his <laughs> eyes were just going the other way. He, he he really was like out instantly on his feet. Yeah, and I saw a little bit of criticism of the referee not getting right in there. I don't know. I there were two very quick punches afterwards, and he was right, right in. I, I don't know when the guys. It's hard. The, the guy's eyes rolled into his head, but he was, but he instinctively put his hands up. And yes, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I have a hard time giving the guy a really, uh, 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 you know, uh, knocking the referee really after that. That was just one of those peculiar knockouts that happened very quick. Right. Um, and I guess Dillian White, he probably, for me, you know, I, I said beforehand that I was very intrigued to see what happened with this fight. That Oscar Rivas looked like he was pretty legit and you know notwithstanding the knockdown i think probably he reinforced that he's he perhaps with luis ortiz is the one who's just outside that top four i think in the heavyweight division um you know very solid performance against a legitimately dangerous foe i think for dylan white 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's the thing here is, uh, you know, Oscar Rivas was himself a, a legit top 10 kind of guy. So uh, any, any kind of victory over him, even one that had a little scary moment or two along the way, uh, is, is a solid win that keeps White moving forward. Indeed. All right, that's the fight review block completed. Uh, but before we move on to our fight preview segment, uh, we do need to take time to acknowledge the big news that dropped just after we recorded last week's podcast. Uh, Purnell... Sweet P. Whitaker, the former lightweight, super lightweight, welterweight, and junior middleweight title holder, was struck by a car and killed in Norfolk, Virginia, at the age of 55. Um, one of the very finest defensive boxers who ever lived, uh, Whitaker was inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 2007, following a career that yielded a professional record of 44-1 and with one no contest as well as an Olympic gold medal in 1984. And actually that pro record should have been even better. Uh, his first official pro defeat against Jose Luis Ramirez in 1988 was bogus. The draw he had to settle for after dominating Julio Cesar Chavez in 1993 was even more bogus. Um, and as exceptional as his career was, it might have been yet greater were it not for his constant battles with alcohol and drugs, which resulted in two suspensions from the sport, a brief prison sentence, and in retirement, spiraling debts. Uh, despite all of that, he was, for large stretches of his career, peerless and fully deserving of that moniker, Sweet Pea. Um, Eric, uh, we came along onto the boxing beat a little bit too late to be ringside for uh, Whitaker's uh, great spell at the top, but what are your thoughts and memories of Pernell Whitaker? Well, first I'll say that I don't know that the Chavez draw was more bogus than the Ramirez loss because that <laughs> Ramirez loss was pretty tough to top for bogusness. Yeah, um, but yeah, without a doubt, Whitaker is one of the all-time greats. Probably was the best fighter on the planet pound for pound for a stretch of about five years. Uh, had become maybe a little underappreciated post-career throughout the 2000s, um, and at least for the past week, has been properly appreciated, uh, getting his just due, and and not only from Max Kellerman, uh, but from a lot of people. And speaking of Max, I thought he made an apt comparison, uh, comparing Purnell to Mickey Mantle, in that both are all-time greats, maybe all-time top 10 or so guys in their sports which is why it's scary to imagine that they didn't maximize their potential, how, how good maybe right. they could have been. Um, you'll recall, Kieran, that uh, in our final year of doing the HBO Boxing Podcast, we did a bracket tournament of the greatest fighters ever to compete on HBO. Uh, Whitaker won his first round matchup over Chocolatito Gonzalez, lost in the round of 16 to Roy Jones, and I personally didn't agree with that. Nothing against Roy, of course, uh, but uh, I voted for Purnell in that one. Um, so that gives you a sense of how highly I think of him as a fighter. Uh, we also had Purnell on our podcast on yeah. Radio Row once. Um, he was uh, certainly an affable guy when we got to talk to him. Although, you know, that, that reminds me to bring up something about him. Uh, when someone dies, we tend to ignore or at least sugarcoat the negative stuff. I haven't seen too many people talking or writing this week about how bad Whitaker could be with the media when he was in his yeah. prime. Um, I didn't personally cover him much, as you alluded to. Uh, we kind of caught him at the end. I just covered the tail end of his career. I was at the Trinidad fight, and, and that's it. Um, but I heard some firsthand stories uh, about him being uncooperative with the media in interviews, in photo shoots, not playing the game. Um there are also some wonderful, heartwarming stories out there about him. Uh, Nicole Duva told Rafe Bartholomew a touching one about the way that Purnell was with the Duva kids. Uh, you know, there, there's there's good and bad with almost all people. 
Right. What I'll say for Pernell Whitaker is this. It's really hard to find bad things to say about him as a boxer. Uh, other than his outside the ring habits, maybe limiting his longevity, you know, beyond that. Wow. He was something special and it's awful that it takes him dying for us and others to stop yeah. and acknowledge it. Um, but his abilities as a fighter really can't be overstated. Just a mesmerizing craftsman. And you can do a lot worse than to spend a day going down the Sweet Pea YouTube rabbit hole. Indeed. Yes, exactly. Um, and yeah, maybe, maybe uh, as a consequence of this, there are quite a few maybe younger fans who are doing that, wondering what all the fuss is about and discovering Pernell for the first time. Yep. All right. It's time to look ahead to some of the fights we have coming up. And uh, first of all, this Saturday... July 27th, Showtime Championship Boxing returns from Charm City, Baltimore, Maryland, as hometown boxer Javante Tank Davis puts his undefeated record and his 130-pound alphabet belt on the line against mandatory challenger Ricardo Nunez. Uh, for Davis, it's just his second time fighting in his hometown. His only previous occasion was in his fourth pro bout in 2013. And it is, Eric, the first time a Baltimore boxer has defended his belt in the city for 80 years. Almost to the day, actually. The most recent being Harry Jeffra, who, as you will recall, defeated Spider Armstrong. <laughs> of course. <to> reta- <laughs> Classic fight. To retain his featherweight world title on July 29th, 1940. Um, homecomings have been something of a theme this year, uh, to varied effect. In May, Jarrett Hurd staged the defense of his 154-pound title in Fairfax, Virginia, about 20 miles from his hometown of Akakik, Maryland, and promptly lost to Julian J. Rock Williams. Demetrius Andrade came flying out of the blocks against Matchett Studensky in his middleweight bout in his hometown of Providence, Rhode Island in June, only to then settle in for a very Andrade-esque unanimous points win. And Jamal Charlo also comfortably won a decision in his homecoming against Brandon Adams in Houston, but he was made to work for it. Um, so the homecomings we've seen of late have seen the hometown, or near hometown, boxer go 2-1 and one with zero KOs. Is Davis going to do better? Is it three and one with one? What's going to happen? This is uh, a great test of his maturity, uh, which we've been calling into question pretty much since the moment he came across our radar. And I wouldn't be surprised if people continue to question him uh, in that regard his entire career. Um, The distractions of being at home combined with being a huge favorite, you know, the ingredients for a letdown are there. Uh, so Tank Davis is, is going to tell us something about his discipline and his focus and his maturity with this performance. It, you know, it starts even on the scale the day before the fight. Can he make 130 pounds on the first try? That'll tell yeah. us something. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, is Davis going to have a, a successful homecoming? I mean, he's a huge favorite here. He should do just fine. But Nunez can punch. Uh, yes. from, from the video that I've seen, this is a guy who could do serious damage with a single punch. So Trevante can't afford to make a mistake in the ring on Saturday. Um, let, let's talk a little more about Nunez, uh, nicknamed El Scientifico, uh, but he seems more <laughs> slugger than scientist yeah. to me. Uh, Nunez has 21 wins, 19 by knockout with two defeats. One defeat was in his second pro fight. Uh, the other he avenged. Nunez is from Panama and is making his first appearance in the United States and only his second outside of Panama. Uh, That's a country, of course, that has produced such greats as Hilario Zapata, Eusebio Pedroza, and some guy named Roberto Duran, I think it's Never heard of him. Yeah. Uh, Nobody expects Nunez to be on the same level as those guys. But what kind of level would you say he's on, Kieran? Is he a worthy challenger to Davis? 
Probably not, but it's a little bit hard to say. Um, there's not a great deal to go on. Um, searching for video of Ricardo Nunez can be a frustrating experience, as there's an awful lot of video of the other Ricardo Nunez, who happens to be his brother, um, <laughs> who lost the flyweight title challenge to Juan Carlos Reveco in 2013 and has a record of 29 and 10. Um, as you mentioned, uh, he has to this point had only one fight outside of Panama, but that was a pretty significant one and suggests that he may very well be legit. Uh, in June 2018, he went to Mexico to face then unbeaten prospect Elvis Torres and he knocked him out in the first round. And it wasn't one of those, you know, just, oh, anything can happen in the first round. You can catch a guy cold. It doesn't mean anything kind of a deal. He stalked him. He used the, his height to work him up against the ropes and then delivered a beautifully talked right hand to the solar plexus to drop him for, for the count with the body shot. Um, apart from that, there isn't much of anything in his record to suggest much about him one way or the other. Um, you mentioned that, you know, he's, he's lost twice. Um, he's been dropped twice as well and stopped once um, by countryman Benny Aguilas. That was the result that he avenged uh, by KO. Uh, he was scheduled to fight veteran Edna Cherry on Showtime Championship Boxing back in March. That would have given us a much better idea right. of where he stands. But, you know, Cherry collapsed uh, in the gym in, in, in training and that fight was called off. Um, one thing that is safe to say is that he would almost certainly not be getting this shot without some good old-fashioned alphabet shenanigans. Um, he won one of the alphabet organization's subtitles in 2016 and just by dint of having that, uh, began his slow march up that particular organization's rankings from number 12 to number two, which, according to this organization, means that you are the mandatory challenger, even if there is a number one contender, <laughs> so, which is the case. So so there you go. Um, it feels a little bit as if the, the rest of this card, it seems to me anyway, if we're certainly not going to just assume that Davis beats Nunez, but it feels a little bit as if it's being set up to find if he does one or possibly two of Davis's next opponents. Um, you know, they're all sort of in or around, you know, that 130 pound division. Um, of the four fighters on the undercard, the better, the two better known ones are both in the co-main. Uh, Yuri Orkis Gamboa takes on uh, Rocky Martinez. Uh, neither man has exactly been active um, of late. Both are somewhat removed from their peaks. Both did win their last fights though. Um, how much does either man have left, do you think? And is the winner a reasonably saleable opponent for Davis down the road, assuming Javante does win? Uh, I'm tempted to trot out one of my most hated cliches, which is when somebody <laughs> says uh, that these guys are both uh, closer to the end of their careers than the beginning. Gee, you think? You know, uh, uh, in their late 30s, you really think they're closer to the end? Um, but uh, that certainly is the case here. And I think of the two, Rocky may be the closer to his end, uh, just based on how brutal his loss to Vasily yeah. Lomachenko was. And then he was off for almost three years after that, had one comeback fight and didn't look good. Um, so I think if the winner is Gamboa, that's a more marketable fight for Javante Davis. Gamboa has the name. Even though he doesn't always make thrilling fights, he's made enough fun fights over the yeah. years for people to mostly think of him as an entertaining fighter. If I'm Javante, I'm rooting for Gamboa to beat Martinez. You know, you're Ericus Gamboa. If he looks like he has something left, that's just the yeah. kind of name Javante Davis would love to get on his resume. Yeah. Uh, the opening bout is an intriguing one, featuring two boxers who've flown a bit under the radar of late. Uh, another Panamanian, Jezreel Corrales, uh, is taking on American Ladarius Miller. What can you tell us about these two? So Corrales is a bit of a tough one to figure out for me. Um 
you know, he really exploded into prominence in April 2016 with a second round KO obliteration of Takashi Uchiyama. And that might have slipped sort of beneath the radar of, of, of a lot of folks. But Uchiyama was a legit badass. Um, and he was considered the top dog at 130 pounds at that point. And Corrales just blew him away. Um, and then to prove it, it wasn't a fluke, he beat him again in a rematch. And Uchiyama hasn't even fought since. Um, since then, though, it's been a bit of a mixed bag for Corrales. He, he eked out a technical decision win over Robinson Castellanos uh, after being decked twice in round four. Um, and then after dominating Alberto Machado early with his fast, unorthodox, explosive style, he just found himself gradually reeled in by, by Machado, who, you know, who knocked him out in the eighth. Um, that was in October 2017, and he's fought just two rounds since. Um, and he can be exciting, but he can also be awfully sloppy. Um, whereas Miller, in contrast, is much more of a low-key, rounded, fundamental boxer. Uh, he's 19-1 with just six KOs. Uh, but he is on a 10-fight win streak. Um, interestingly, he was, uh, he was born in Memphis. Uh, and at uh, the age of 17, wanting to be a, a boxer and improve his boxing career, he, he had just 100 bucks in his pocket. He caught a bus to Las Vegas to find himself a gym and a trainer to further his career. Um, and although he has yet to set the world alight, he does have one notable scalp in the form of Jamel Herring, uh, who recently won an alphabet strap. Um, and Herring, uh, like Corrales, is a lefty, and he was the last southpaw that, that Miller faced. So, you know, Miller's going to be looking to counter Corrales' sort of occasionally wild power with his steady boxing skills and sort of, you know, jab and poke his way towards a victory, I think. All right. Uh, well, it's prediction time, uh, and, and we're not the only ones making predictions on these fights. Uh, we're the only ones making those predictions publicly on this podcast, uh, mm. but everyone should be making predictions by playing the DraftKings Showtime Boxing Pick'em Game. For every Showtime Boxing card, DraftKings is giving away $5,000 in prizes. It costs nothing to enter. You just sign up at DraftKings.com Showtime, pick the winners, the methods of victories, uh, count the jelly beans in the jar as a tiebreaker. Uh, yes, I'm bitter that I can't seem to get the copy box landed punches prediction correct um but anyway the top finishers win their share of five thousand dollars and a showtime swag bag and the season-long competition uh also is ongoing the top finisher there wins a trip to every showtime championship boxing event in 2020 and i'm going to sweeten the deal whoever wins at the first card in 2020 that kieran and i are at Kieran will say hello to you and perhaps even sing you a lullaby in his soothing accent. I haven't cleared this with Kieran yet, uh, but it's too late. I said it. It's out there. No putting the toothpaste back in the tube. A hello from Kieran and a possible lullaby. Those are in the prize package now. I think even the hello seems improbable, but we'll see. <laughs> <All right. laughs> How about a, a hello and a, and a bro hug if they're into uh, bro hugs? How do you feel mm -hmm. about that? Possibly more better, more into that than I am a lullaby. That's okay, for sure. Fair enough. All right, let, let's move on to our picks uh, so that the listeners uh, know what predictions not to make um, in <laughs> our little competition. I'm ahead 52 to 46 uh, and I'm up first with a pick for the main event. Davis versus Nunez. Uh, and as I said, Davis is the big favorite here, but Nunez can punch. His opposition hasn't been great or, or even good for the most part. Uh, Nunez is very much unproven, but he has a vicious uppercut and yep. as a taller 130 pounder the uppercut is a great weapon against a shorter opponent uh, javante davis is a shorter opponent he'd better be careful that said javante has all the athletic edges he's much faster he has elite skills it's his fight to lose i see something quick and explosive happening here 
Gervonta comes out hyped to impress the hometown crowd. I could see that getting him into trouble. I expect a fight that's fun and over quickly. It would be great from a drama perspective if Nunez lands a big shot and has at least one good moment, one scary moment for Gervonta to navigate. But whether that happens or not, I'm going Gervonta Davis, KO3. Okay, slight difference. I was getting a little worried there. Um, uh, no, I think it is going to be an entertaining fight too because I think that Nunez's best opportunity is to use his power. Uh, I think Davis is the the better boxer. Uh, he's he's the slicker, faster guy. Uh, and I think you're probably exactly right. He is not least because this is how he's been fighting of late. Is just coming out and starting early and starting impressively and getting his his opponents out of there. And I think he's all the more likely to do that in front of a Baltimore crowd. Uh, and Nunez is going to have to try and stand in there and and fight fire with fire um i i think that nunez is going to show a little bit of resilience i think he might actually give give davis a bit of a hard time i i could see a situation where after perhaps a very exciting first round it kind of maybe gets a little bit more difficult mm. uh as davis is trying to sort out nunez and nunez is firing back and it maybe settles down a bit for a for a couple of rounds but then i think something explosive will happen um i think davis will ultimately figure him out and tire him i'm going davis time him i mean uh, davis uh, ko5 okay for- all right. Um, as for the co-main, I'm going to follow up on the point that you were making about this. Uh, I'm going to begin by saying that I think that Rocky Martinez is shot. Um, he's had a fine career, but he'd already seen better days by the time he laced him up against Lomachenko. And like you said, the Ukrainian, I mean, he just absolutely annihilated him um, and, and did, as you said, sent him into what appeared to be re- into retirement. The only question for me is what Gamboa has left, and that's difficult himself, and that's difficult to tell because, you know, he's still got these great physical gifts that can cover up plenty of other deficiencies. Um, Gamboa's last few fights have been pretty disappointing. He was dropped, and he looked underwhelming against Rene Alvarado. Uh, he lost to Robinson Castellanos, although right. lots of people lose to Robinson Castellanos, notwithstanding Castellanos' record. He's just like, if you're not on it, Castellanos is, gonna be, is that nightmare guy. Um, his win against Alexis Reyes was kind of horrendous. Um, Jason Sosa dropped him. Um, it's been fully eight years, really, since uh, Gamboa was in his pomp. Uh, five years since his thrilling effort against Terence Crawford. And he hasn't scored a stoppage win, even though we think of him as a real power puncher, since November 2014. But he'll get one here. Um, I think in what will be a scrappy and sloppy contest, uh, Gamboa will be ahead on the cards. And then I just think it's going to be one of those absolutely out of the blue Gamboa lands, one of those thumping lead power punches that explode on Martinez's jaw and just drop him in the eighth round. All right. Uh, We have uh, pretty similar thought processes on this one. Uh, I would definitely build this as a loser leaves town match. Yeah. Um, And like you, I worry that Rocky Martinez might be totally washed, uh, in which case this could be easy for Gamboa. If Martinez has a little something left, then, you know, Gamboa never has an easy night against a decent opponent. Mm. So I'm torn between scenario A, uh, Rocky is still fairly solid, and Gamboa hits the deck along the way, because he always does, uh, but ekes out (laughs) a close decision. And scenario B, that it's Gamboa all the way, and he knocks Rocky out. And uh, I think I'm going with the latter. Uh, I don't want to say KO8 because you said KO8. That would be boring. Let's say Gamboa KO7. Maybe Rocky's corner stops it because it's one-sided and and there's no point letting it go on after a certain point. 
So you're agitating for a slightly earlier night all the way around than I am so far. I am always agitating for (laughs) as early a night as possible. Uh, Okay, uh, predictions for the opener. Uh, Jezreel Corrales versus Ladarius Miller. Um, You know, that Ladarius Miller win over Jamel Herring that you mentioned looks pretty good at the moment. That Corrales loss to Alberto Machado looks awfully shaky at the moment. Uh, this is a tough call. Battle of Southpaws. Neither guy is a big puncher. This certainly has distance fight written all over it. Let's say the American Ladarius Miller by close unanimous decision. Yeah, yeah, we agree on this one. It's, it's a tough one because for me to pick, because Corrales is such a wild card, like is he the guy who upset Uchiyama twice? Or is he the guy who lost to Machado? Or is he somewhere in between? Um, for me, I think one of the big factors is that he's been so inactive, um, whereas Miller has just been quietly and tidily going about his business. Um, and yeah, styles make fights. And I think that Miller's sort of educated boxing and, and no-nonsense work will probably pile up the points against Corrales' sort of more eye-catching burst of activity. So yeah, I'm also going Miller by unanimous decision. All right. Lots of standard Raskin Mulvaney agreement. That's hey, we differed by two rounds on one fight and by one on another. This is this is <laughs> although sensational. The, although the one round that we differed on the second one was uh, fairly arbitrary, but still, okay. One of us could one of us could gain or lose ground on the other, I suppose. Exactly. There you go. We'll see. Uh, there are a few other fights this weekend, but there's actually only uh, after all the activity we've had over the last couple of weekends, there's really only. One other card of major significance on Saturday on the zone. Potential Javante Davis opponent and certain present Twitter rival Tevin Farmer faces off against Guillaume Frenois for a junior lightweight strap. And that bout is co-main to a 140-pound title tail, which I find quite intriguing between Maurice Hooker and Jose Marie, uh, Ramirez. Uh, Eric, anything you're looking forward to here? Yeah, absolutely. Ramirez and Hooker is a tremendous fight. Uh, It's fascinating what's happening in this division. Uh, Despite promotional and network divides, these two are fighting. And meanwhile, Regis Progray and Josh Taylor are fighting. Those are the top four guys at 140 pounds right now, or at least four of the top five. Maybe Victor Postal takes up a spot in there. Uh, But anyway, I I think I favor Ramirez, but I expect a good close fight. And uh, Tevin Farmer remains busy. I'd like to see that. And I could say the name Guillaume Frenois all day. Uh, I, be- I believe the English translation is uh, Billy Frenchman, which doesn't work quite as well. Uh, but Guillaume Frenois, man, that's a, that's a name right there. I would have had a lot more success in my single days just by being named Guillaume Frenois. Oh, yeah. Which is not to say I didn't have plenty of success, of course, sure, with, sure. with my super sexy name, Eric Raskin. But... Uh, Guillaume yeah, you know what we, say about, what we were saying earlier about every so often? You just say enough words and... Like, yeah, maybe I'll take, maybe I'll just shut up now. Eh, I don't know. I am not going to back down. I'm not going to back down on my enthusiasm for Guillaume Frenois. Okay. Ah, that's fine. Yeah, the the name isn't. Oh, oh, it's the talking about my uh, my past as a single. Your conquests, sir. I see. Your conquests. (laughs) Right. I appreciate you putting an S on the end of that uh, word. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Now I'm starting to regret things. Let's move on uh, to some of the news items around the world of boxing. Several times over the last few weeks, we've looked at and speculated on the possible opponents for Canelo Alvarez this Mexican Independence Day weekend. And now the speculation is over, the decision is in, and the opponent is... Nobody. Golden Boy Promotions stated in a press release on Wednesday that promoter and fighter quote, have made the strategic decision to postpone their typical September fight. 
The decision was made in an effort to secure the right opponent and to do justice to the level of promotion required for a boxing star of his magnitude. Though Canelo typically fights in May and September, it is not without precedent to fight later in the year as Canelo did fight in December of 2018 in Madison Square Garden. Canelo's next fight will now take place later in 2019, end quote. Uh, I'll note that I have a column in the upcoming issue of Ringside Seat magazine where I share a theory about why Canelo couldn't get a deal done. I won't spoil it here, especially since it hasn't published yet, uh, but I uh, just wanted to put that little plug out there. Uh, I will also note that the Twitterati was lively in sharing its PED conspiracy theories about Canelo needing time to cycle off, uh, which I don't think those are valid in this case, right. but Canelo has unfortunately opened the door for such yep. snarky comments until the end of time. Um, anyway, the popular ex- expectation now is that the September 14th date will most likely go to Gennady Golovkin versus Jaime Munguia, which, as you'll recall, was proposed in May 2018 and nixed by the Nevada State Athletic Commission. So, Kieran, help make sense of all this. What's going on here? So anything that has uh, anything to do with the Canelo camp is is always opaque. Uh, I, I don't know of any team that's quite as good as circling the wagons and letting out little dribbles of information as they won. Um, but it does appear there has been some talk for a little while that he's been experiencing some legitimate discomfort, some real, well, more than discomfort, actually, real pain in his knee for some time. And he was perfectly happy to take some some extra time to sort of let that heal or maybe take any sort of surgical procedures that might be necessary. And, and the other thing that really does seem to be coming out, you know, you and I were, were speculating is, is all of this an attempt to get, you know, increase his leverage over, over Golovkin, you know, when we were talking about other possible opponents coming out. Um, but it actually it seems to be the case that actually he just really doesn't want to fight Gennady Golovkin again, or at least not now. Mm-hmm. Um, their rivalry to this point has left them both with a singular legitimate personal animus that I think is mutual. And it seems pretty clear that, you know, Golov- uh, the Canelo just doesn't want to give Golovkin another shot until he absolutely positively has to. And there's a few more miles there on the uh, Golovkin odometer. Um, I have been told uh, that this is not sitting very well, any of this, but the good people at the zone who threw cargo shiploads of cash at both men in the understanding they would use them to beat the snot out of each other. So uh, it's entirely possible that this whole process isn't over yet. Um, but the other thing that seems to have sort of, you know, been a factor here is um, Nello's folks seem to look at uh, Sergei Kovalev's sort of mandated August bout as a perfect excuse to sort of still delay mm-hmm. and then still have their big fight this year um, against Kovalev uh, later in the year. So that's that's as best as, as the the tea leaves appear to be suggesting. Um, and talking of Kovalev, uh, that defense of his light heavyweight title against Britain's Anthony Yardy is now set for August 24th. And continuing the year's homecoming theme, it will be in Kovalev's hometown of Chelyabinsk, uh, Russia. Um, also in light heavyweight action amongst fights that have recently been announced, a cracker of a battle between uh, Alexander Vojtnik and Arta Baturbiev is now set for October 18th. Wow, it's going to be a great fight, that. Um, the boxing world's worst kept secret, and we've already alluded to it, a welterweight showdown between Errol Spence and Sean Porter is now dialed in for September 28th at Staples Center in Los Angeles. And uh, fresh from flattening Anthony Crawler, Vasily Lomachenko is targeting another Englishman as he takes on uh, Luke Campbell at the O2 Arena on August 31st. So plenty to unpack there, Eric. Uh, Anything leap out at you? Uh, Yeah, I have a few quick thoughts on all of those. Uh, First, uh, I like the Kovalev-Yardy fight, uh, and 
I think Kovalev and his people made a mistake not taking the Canelo fight. Uh, Aye. You know, may, maybe the money wasn't quite everything they dreamed of, but you're 36 years old. You've been stopped twice in your last five fights. You take the high seven figures when it's offered. Uh, I, I don't think you fight your mandatory and, and hope to pick negotiations back up later. It's it's risky. To me, it's a mistake by Kovalev. Uh, but, but, you know, it might all work out perfectly for him. We'll see. Um, I love Gwajdzik. Paterbiev, great oh, matchup. Boy. Yeah, oh, I'm really looking forward to that. Haven't haven't really had time to uh, let that sink in and think about who I favor, but I really like the matchup. Um, Spence and Porter is excellent too, but there's one thing I don't like about that, and it's three letters: P P V. Uh, yeah, I... Maybe maybe in the short term that maximizes the profits for this fight, but I just don't like that fight for pay per view. To me, that's a great Fox fight or Showtime fight. Spence needs to be seen by as wide an audience as Great. possible right now. Great. Uh, as for Lomachenko Campbell, to use a Mulvaneyism, it's a right. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't dislike it, but it's hard to get excited when, you know, come on. We, we all know right. who's winning. Exactly. Uh, all right. Before we go, there was a, a weird episode this week, courtesy of Amir Khan. Imagine that. A weird episode, courtesy <laughs> of Amir Khan. Uh, fresh off his knockout of overmatched former featherweight Billy Dibb in Saudi Arabia, Khan held a press conference to announce that he and Manny Pacquiao had both signed for a November 8th fight in that same delightful country, at which point <laughs> Pacquiao's team all said they had absolutely no idea what Khan was talking about. Kieran, any sense of where the truth lies here? Um, so it is always worth remembering, of course, that Pacquiao is the man who accepted a briefcase of cash to sign with Golden Boy while he was still contracted to top rank. So it's always possible he's run off and agreed to something without anyone on his team knowing about it. But I also saw video of, of him being asked about it right afterwards um, when he was doing media duties for, for his fight. And I don't think Manny's a good enough actor, even though he has plenty of TV shows in the Philippines, <laughs> to, to feign the look of... <laughs> on his face uh, when he was told about that, that he'd apparently signed to face Amir Khan on November 8th. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, you kind of wonder what's going on with Amir at times. I mean, I like Amir. He really, I really do. But he does have a habit of saying odd things. Um, you know, in a subsequent comment, he, he recorded a little video uh, after Pacquiao's team's denial, where it seems like the Saudi outfit that put on his last appearance assured him that they had Pacquiao's signature for a November 8th fight, and he not only accepted their word, but then decided to like have a press event about it. Um, whereas the smart thing would have been to just shut up and wait and, you know, show me the signature and show me the money. But right. um, as he said, uh, Super Boxing League, whoever they are, I guess they're the ones who put together the, the stuff in Saudi Arabia, say they have signatures. I'm going to be fighting in Riyadh on November 8th he says, and hopefully it's going to be Manny Pacquiao. If it's not done, he says, I'm the one that's going to be looking stupid. <laughs> well, that pretty much says it. There you go. I'll say this, though. In a world where everyone keeps their lips buttoned up, a boxing world where everyone keeps their lips buttoned up and leaves fans guessing, no one can ever accuse Amir of being anything other than just delightfully transparent. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So, all right, that will do it for another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Remember, you can hit us up with mailbag questions on Twitter with the hashtag AskShowPod. Uh, we'll be back next week to look back on Saturday's Showtime Championship Boxing Card from Baltimore. Until then, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>